Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is the last of the Best Picture nominees I'm yet to talk about, and that is Bohemian Rhapsody. And I'm happy to be joined by my friend Billy McCormick, who last joined us on the Mid-90s podcast. Billy, thank you for doing this with me for a movie that I'm sure you like just as much as Mid-90s. Hey, Josh. This movie stinks. All right. Well, uh Way to not bury the lead, but uh, <laughs> just to give everyone the introduction, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, as pretty sure all of you know, because just about everyone and their mom and their grandma and their great-grandma saw this movie, is about the life of Freddie Mercury and his time as a member of Queen. It stars Robbie Malik, who's best known as a TV actor for Mr. Robot, but has been in a lot of really good movies, actually, and just throughout his career, just in smaller roles, and he kind of got this opportunity to play Freddie Mercury when it kind of fell apart when Sasha Baron Cohen was kind of in negotiations to have the role, and the surviving members of Queen wouldn't let the music be used unless they uh, did it in a certain way, a more sanitized version that Sasha Baron Cohen, unsurprisingly, didn't want to have to sanitize. This movie was mired in a lot of controversy as uh, the director, Brian Singer, walked off the set when filming was about 80% complete and was replaced by Dexter Fletcher. I'm not really talking about the plot of the movie as I normally do in these because this movie doesn't really have a plot as much as it is just really about everything. And I want to talk about with Billy a little bit about music biopics and if that's how they should be. But again, the movie's been very successful. It's made over $830 million, $830 million to date and still counting. Five Oscar nominations, Best Picture, Best Actor, Editing, Sound Editing, Sound Mixing. Billy, as you already made your feelings known, I'm sure you don't really think many of those accolades are that warranted. So uh, I'll just ask you first, though. You're a music guy much more so than me, but also a movie guy. So I think you're a good person to ask the question to. Do you have an answer if someone were to ask you, what do you want when you go see a musical biopic? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think for me, one, I want like a real story, which this didn't have a real story, which we'll, we'll talk about. Two, if you're going to cast a main actor in the role, I think they have to sing. I'm sorry. You, you got to sing for at least the majority. I think that's like a prerequisite for the entire role. And three, like, if you stick to the history, which this movie didn't really do in four. And this is an aside more than this number four musical biopics after walk hard just really shouldn't exist unless you're going to actually like watch that movie and be like, okay, we can't do this. Can't do that. <laughs> like this is such a trope. And then like you compare that movie to this movie and you're like, man, they hit like all of the Dewey Cox tropes. Yeah, well, uh, when 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 you say all the when you say all the tropes, uh, what are the what are some of the cardinal sins that come to mind for you then? Is something that like a, a biopic has to hit, but probably shouldn't dutifully hit as many do? I think everybody wants to have the one concert that like defined that person's career and center the movie around that movie. In reality, it's not really how an artist's career works. Like in Walk Hard, I guess it's him at San Quentin, but like. I didn't make his career. It was a good CD, but like, it, it's not like the thing that put him over the top. So there is the big concert where they're standing backstage and it leads into them reflecting about their entire career. There's the doors esque magically finding some key inspiration for a song in like something totally asinine. There's the doors took it somewhere like, you know, like he goes to see the naked Indian, like they parody in Wayne's world too. But, like, that's at least a whole sequence where they tried to make you understand, like, what goes on in a person's mind. 
Whereas I, I don't know. I feel like writing a song, like it's pretty boring. Like, yeah, it's, it's hard to make, like watching someone write, whether it be songs or books or anything like I make that like really compelling. Uh, it's just like, a, it's just a hard thing to do. And, I, I don't know. I think my biggest thing with any kind of even I don't even, I don't even know if I'm to say musical biopic and just biopics in general. I would say it's like I I, I just don't want the cradle to the grave story. You know, um, it's hard to do that pretty well. And I think uh, I, I really actually like Straight Outta Compton a lot. You know, that was just a few years oh, ago. Oh yeah, I forgot. I, and that doesn't register on my musical biopics, but yeah. But but I mean, I think that that's helped by the fact that like that's such a uh, that that was such a fast period of time or such a condensed period of time that the events of that take place in because it picks up like right when they're kind of getting together like in 87 and easy e has uh hiv or aids by 1994 like they don't actually yeah. have to cover that much time and it is a two and a half hour movie it's even longer than this but it's just a way better movie and i i don't know i think it if you're trying to do, but then like all eyes on me the tupac thing was really bad a couple years ago and that, that literally that. began with his mom giving birth to him in a car and then you know ended with him dying it was literally the cradle to the grave and it was just bad and i think if you try and if you try and do too much that's not a great thing so i prefer if they like try and just focus on like a condensed uh period of time that like is just a very slice of life kind of thing and i think that's the best how all biopics are but when you add in music yeah like you said it's best to avoid the tropes it's good it's good to have good music and i think that's an interesting point though that you raise about they have to sing so is it almost more distracting to you then if like it doesn't sound like a little different from the actual thing. You'd rather just hear it seem a little more authentic and have the actor singing that that is something that actually affects your enjoyment of these movies. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, just for like the sheer fact of the distracting part of this movie is just like, I know Rami Malek can't sing like this. And so that's fine. If he's like, look, I can never touch Freddie Mercury, but like you shouldn't really do doing the role because then all you're doing in substantial parts of the movie is just dancing around like lip syncing and, I don't know. Like if that's going to be like 20% of the movie, that's not really a good use of it. I mean, you're just watching a bad music video. Yeah. You want to have someone of, you want to have someone of like, uh, to play Freddie Mercury. You want to have someone of middle Eastern descent, I guess, just to, for obvious reasons. And, uh, I think I like Rami Malek. I like Mr. Robot. He's in short term 12, one of my favorite movies. And he's popped up in a lot of other stuff like the master and things like that. But I think that, He's not such a big name that you couldn't have just cast another unknown. Like I bet there is some like random person of Middle Eastern descent out there that can sing that you could have just put in there. And I don't think anyone's going to see this movie because they're a big Robbie Malik fan. Like they're going to see it because they want to hear Queen songs played very loudly. So if if that if that is something that would have actually helped the movie, just to have someone that can sing, why not try and discover an unknown and make a star out of him? Yeah, and the point about Robbie Malik and I, I maybe haven't listened to like Freddie Mercury do interviews or anything but man for like the first 30 minutes of this movie i was i was kept thinking are we really doing this with the teeth <laughs> like are we gonna do this well the teeth are the re- that's i mean that's a real thing but is it was it that bad i can't you know? say I've, i can't say i've gone back and watched a lot of interviews since seeing the movie so i'm not i can't really comment on the accuracy of that but it, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I enjoyed the performance in and of itself. I, I would I, I'll be honest and say I hadn't really given a lot of thought to 
how bothered I was by the fact he didn't sing. I, I just kind of assumed like, well, you know, it would have been bad if he did. So I'm just going to see if he can capture his essence. And I, I, I know, I know a hand, I, I know the big queen songs. I'm not an expert. So I was, I enjoyed listening to him and I did not really know Rom, Freddie Mercury all that well as a character, but it felt like a pretty transformational performance. But I think I'm almost giving Rami Malek all the credit, just knowing what I know him from, because it was yeah. so different from anything I've done before. He's done before. It's such a bigger, broader, more physical performance than Mr. Robot where he's playing someone that is somewhere on the spectrum basically and is very introverted or uh, is just brooding. Yeah. And he's just in general more quiet in those other movies I mentioned that he's done. He, um, he he was, he had a very, like he's a very good actor. He had a very small part in um, Anthem Body Saints, the David Lowry movie with uh, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara a couple years ago. And he, he was just like, is this scene where he's riding in the car with Casey Affleck, basically at gun, being held at gunpoint, and he's very good at being scared and timid. And I guess I only knew him in that mode, so I was very excited. And I, I didn't leave this movie thinking it was great and it should get nominated for an Oscar, but I just like left it like kind of like the initial critical consensus was, which is part of why we're just getting around to this podcast now. And as long as I do this podcast, there's probably always going to be a movie like this where it's like, man, I just no one really cared enough about that movie when it came out. We didn't know it was going to be any good. And then I feel the need to do a podcast because it got nominated for yeah. Best Picture. Last year was Darkest Hour. This year it's this, and you happen to see the movie so late enough that I made you do this because I needed someone to do it. But I, when it, it's just so weird, it got all these Oscars because when the movie first came out and back in November, it was the, the general consensus was, yeah, it's just a whatever movie, but Rami Malek's really great, and that's kind of what I left it feeling like. But I, uh, but I, I, I can also hear your. Um, your thought that like, Hey, this would have been cool if you could have just found someone that could actually pull these songs off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and maybe he did a, this is all a caveat to say he did a really good job of impersonating his stage persona and antics and whatever, and had much more energy to devote to that stuff than he would have had a song. So nailed that part. Don't, don't get me wrong, but what, what did you what did you think about the actual uh, band dynamics itself? Because I mean, I'm sure that's a thing, and that that's another thing you might think of when you think of uh, musical biopics. Is and one of the things that I, actually I didn't actually do, do like read like a whole article about. Here's all the shit they changed. I didn't do that till after my second viewing of this movie, and I probably should have done it beforehand. Uh, I, I went again, but apparently, like the band never actually broke up in the way that they should say they never broke, broke up, up which is this a massive thing that's weird to change because uh brian may and uh roger what's his name other whatever the the drummer roger taylor yeah roger taylor they, they were basically producers on this movie like they got to choose that they handpicked brian singer which has, is now comes with its own uh problems that they they didn't want to they didn't agree to what sasha baron cohen wanted to do they wanted this version of the movie so it's very weird they they seem to have that much say in it, and then the, it changes something that big. Because one of my bigger criticisms when I first left the movie was like, man, they have this breakup scene, and I didn't really buy it. Uh, and I, I did not have that knowledge that they hadn't broken up, but I'm like, one of my things I enjoyed while watching the movie is learning that one of the things that, I mean, that is actually what happened is that they're a very unique band and that the way they collaborated and how yeah it, it wasn't just like one guy did all the songwriting like you have like the bassist might have come up with uh one iconic song and the 
drummer might have done the other, and the guitarist might have done the other, and Freddie Mercury might have done these two, and that's pretty cool. And I, 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 it was cool to get the sense of how they were that collaborative in that way, and they might have a bunch of bickering and arguing at any given moment over Freddie's tardiness or who's getting the credit for a song or which song is better to go on the album. But then at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, this is a dope song. This should be the one we go with at this moment, and they kind of just get past it and they make the music. And I kind of enjoyed that. So then I kind of thought that, like, yeah, like any any family, they might have their arguments, and then at the end of the day, they figure it out and all of a sudden it's like now it's just beyond repair and i didn't feel like we saw that before that breakup scene so that was already a criticism i had and then to learn that like that's one of the things they changed i was like man like if you're gonna take that kind of liberty you need to pull it off better well yeah and especially because when you're talking about the band dynamics thing that basically two of their biggest songs of all time are magically just inserted in the movie as like argument enders there's like <laughs> Uh, Dustin Moskovitz breaking out the bass line, another one bites the dust. And then uh, Brian May's character doing the stomp clap thing from we will rock you. And it's just like Freddie Mercury was being an ass, which is kind of a weird thing to do in a biopic. And they're like, but the music solved it. And we all got along. And I'm like, <laughs> so this thing's like, I don't know that much about queen, but I was like, this is not how this happened. I, I don't know enough to, like you know that you know that that guy didn't start the baseline for another one bites at us right when they're on the verge of having a massive like argument yeah i did not know that that was the guy that played dustin moskovitz good call i couldn't stop seeing dustin moskovitz every time he came i actually watched the social network again in the last year and i just totally did not catch that one good 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 call um but so like there was that scene where i was like this didn't happen like that the scene where they get together like as a group and he just walks by and magically meets like the love of his life on the way to go meet the band. He's going to play with the rest of his career. And it's just like, I can sing. It's like, that didn't happen. Like, yeah, that. no, I had, I had a list of things I was going to run through with you. I didn't know when I was going to do it and to see how much some of the different things bothered you. Cause that was one of them. Like one, the band did not form that way. Apparently he was really good friends with the guy that was the lead singer before him. And he just like, he actually was like friends with the band and stuff. And, then he had kind of talked to them about like joining the band, but didn't actually do it until that guy left the band. So that whole scene where it's just he happens, happens upon them and wows them by singing like three notes of one of their three notes from one of their songs. That's not how it happened. He did not meet uh, Mary Austin the same night that he joined the band. Like he just like I think he met her like somewhere else doing something else on a different night. It wasn't like that at all. So I mean, I feel like those are maybe the kind of things like small things like that you can choose. You, you can you can change here and there, and it's like whatever if that makes the you can't have like a whole other scene that like you don't want to have a three hour movie. So if you, if you want to condense a couple things, fine. I don't think that's really like that stuff didn't bother me, but like I, I learned retroactively that he didn't know about his HIV diagnosis until, uh, like 1987, like two years after live aid. That really bothered me. Yeah. And then he lived until 1991 and they just kind of make an act like he basically just walked off stage at live aid and died. Yeah. I think like, they kept performing. Not how that happened. Yeah. It just feels weird to play like fast and loose with someone's like, HIV diagnosis to like try and uh, engineer more drama in the movie. Like that's not the thing to fuck with. You know what I mean? Like something yeah. that, that that serious and that uh, that important uh, of an of an event shouldn't really be where you mess around. And that's basically well, what they did. And on the the part about the band dynamics and like Brian May and I think the Sasha Baron Cohen movie would have been so much better and like more realistic. But I also get that. Like, I mean, Brian May came out and said like, we're not going to tarnish this legacy, which it might've looked like, but like there's just stuff where you're like, 
okay, Brian May, we get it. You're heavily involved with this movie. Like Brian May came out with the first solo CD in the band. And like in the movie, it's a big plot point that he's coming out with solo CD. Or one of my favorite scenes is when they're all at a party and Freddie Mercury is like, let's party. (laughs) And everyone else in the band is like, no, we have families. We cannot party. And it's like, come on, man. Wait, oh, so you're being sarcastic when you said that was one of your favorite scenes? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just like that whole party sequence was oh, bad. God. Well, I mean, one, I don't really totally appreciate if what Brian May is insinuating is that if like they had like more explicit gay sex scenes that that would tarnish his legacy. I don't know if that's what he's going for there, but I, I want like a lot of people are like, oh, well, obviously, if you've ever seen Bruno or Borat or whatever, like Sasha Baron Cohen's going to he's not going to have any problem doing like really graphic things. And I think that's part of what people are getting at when they're like, oh, that his version of the movie would have been so much better because we would have like had more of that kind of thing. And. I'm not going to fault the movie for wanting to be PG-13. Like, it wants to appeal to a broad audience. It, there's no way it makes $800 million if it's if it's rated R. It just doesn't. Uh, but I think they still, like, I think I came away from my initial viewing of the movie maybe a little pleasantly surprised, but I because I got the feeling that it's weren't going to talk about the fact he was gay at all. Just like the yeah. way some of the people that had initially saw the movie talked about it. They're like, oh, if, if you d- didn't know any better, you would think he was straight. Like, the movie doesn't ignore the fact that he's gay, but it does not talk about it nearly enough or actually interrogate him as to how he feels about it. There's the scene where he actually – Mary first tells him – like he tells Mary, I'm bisexual. She's like, no, you're gay. And it just happens when they're like watching a concert and like they're like, yeah, things aren't the same between us. And at that point, we've seen him like stare at a trucker as he walks into a bathroom and like yeah. lo- look up and down a guy at like the first party I think that he's at or something like that. And that's it. And I guess think the movie thinks it's being subtle, but it, I don't think it – Rather than being subtle, I think it's just not giving the issue the attention it deserves. And I think it's like, well, you could say when he's at that scene where he – no one wants to party with him, it's like, oh, he's so lonely because he maybe really won't connect to people. But at that point, he seems like he's come to the terms with the fact that he's gay, Um, and he's – like he might – he might not talk about it a lot publicly because there's that awful uh, press conference later where they're trying to insinuate yeah. that like they're trying to get him to talk about it on the record. But it seems like he's very open to his friends about the fact that he's gay, um, and it just he he never really has a real conversation about it, and that's what bothers me. I feel like actually getting to the bottom of how he genuinely felt about this. It seems like they had the cooperation for enough people in his life that they could have talked about it, and they just didn't really do it. They had the scene with him and um, him and uh, what uh, Jim Haddon and. That was brief. Uh, which was made up. Yeah, that's not how we met him. And other than that, they don't really talk about it at all. And that's more my thing. It's like I didn't need to like – I wasn't like, man, you should have uh, had a lot more sex scenes and that would have made it more authentic. I was just – you should have just told us how it affected his life and how it affected him as a person through that period of time where uh, his bandmates were at different points in their life. Yeah. No, I think that's – I mean it, it simultaneously somehow tried to – not really talk about it, talk about it, and then go about it in the most like tropey way possible. Like the truck stop scene. Like, <laughs> what? He, he's just talking on a payphone and he's at a truck stop. And then the rest of the part, like, I don't even know if this part's true, but like he's going to clubs in like Berlin and Munich. And it's like, okay, do we really not have some way in between these where we can talk about this? And look, the answer may be, and, and from what I've read, like on Wikipedia and other places, is that like people really don't know what his sexuality really was. I mean, there's obviously claims, and that it was always kind of a mystery, and it's something he didn't talk about. And there's a cool way to make that into the movie of like a way you can do that and address it and be like, Freddie Mercury was this larger than life 
person and like he has personality we don't even really know and you could do that and they just beat you over the head with like him at a truck stop yeah i don't who knows i mean it's just who knows exactly how much they they had these conversations were saying they wish they would have had in real life but it's like you took enough other liberties that it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world to have put him in a situation where he had to talk about um the fluidity of his sexuality or something like that i mean i don't it seems like because they they seem to actually insinuate he was genuinely physically attracted to Mary at least yeah. at the beginning of their relationship. I mean, he's like really excited to like be physically intimate with her and talking to her about in her front of her dad about how much she liked to shag her. And it's yeah, like, uh, I mean, obviously that that very well may have been made up, but it's like they're trying to insinuate that he actually really was extremely attracted to her at the beginning of the relationship, and then it just all of a sudden it has her tell her tell him he's gay, and then they just don't really like give it the time it deserves you know i think i don't know i think when i initially left the movie i expected to be like super offended by them not acknowledging it and it's just they just did in like all the wrong not all that well thought out ways you know i i, I don't know i guess I, th- I feel like that i don't know if there's a whole lot more to say on that necessarily it's just i wish they had i, I don't know i just think the movie had an opportunity to handle that a, a lot better than it did well i the way you could have done it in a way that is not too cheesy about we don't really know would be to do like uh, what was the um, Bob Dylan movie from the like I'm not the there. 2000s? I'm not there. You could have done like an I'm not there ish thing where if like there were many Freddie Mercury's. None of us really knew him. He's this larger than life person. You don't have to go down that whole route. But like there's a way you can build some of that into the movie. I was thinking about that earlier. Like that movie – I mean, that's kind of like every rock musician where they all have like these multifaceted lives. And like, that's why they're such great artists. And like this movie, just kind of made it look like he's kind of a flat, like he's larger than life, but almost like in a comical way. Could you even enjoy the live aid scene? Um, Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I I was curious because like I think everyone kind of agrees. That's like the one thing the movie did well. But uh, you you being bothered by uh, the singing in parts that wasn't necessarily an issue for you there because it pulled it off well from a filmmaking perspective is what you'd say, I guess. Yeah, it was really good. And you forget how good that performance was. And Rami Malek like nails all all the all the beats like it, it was really good. It wasn't good enough to redeem enough. You know, the other hour and 45 minutes, two hours in the movie. And it's kind of weird to have that just be one set piece. Though I guess they cut a couple of songs from the actual performance. Yeah. Well, but the, the stuff that they did show is basically like a, a choreographic recreation. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I think they did it well. And it's just interesting to think about that because I wanted to talk about the filmmaking in general a little bit because I mean, I'm assuming that Brian Singer did shoot that. And I mean, I don't know how you. You saw this after that Brian Singer story dropped in the Atlantic. Not that we yeah. hadn't already heard about some of those allegations against him before then, but I mean, I guess that scene is almost well done enough that I'm forgetting about the fact that the filmmaker who shot it is such a problematic person. But you know, other parts of this movie just really like are not that well well made from like a filmmaking perspective. I I, I did you I sent you that one clip from that, that was going around on Twitter where it was just how poorly the scene is when they first meet. Um, I don't remember that guy's name, so I'm just going to call him Tommy Carcetti. But yeah, uh, when they no, he's Carcetti. But when 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 they when they first meet Carcetti and he's coming to manage the band, like the it cuts like 13 times in like nine seconds at one point when he first sits down at the table and it's just very poorly edited. And I look, I'm really glad I didn't see that before the first time I saw the movie because then I probably would have noticed more of that stuff the second time. But in a lot of different parts, it's not 
it's just not a well-made movie and it's like i mean obviously like it might be in some of the things with how it lingers on like the truck stop type of thing like that's just really bad but also in certain things about the way it's cut it's just kind of weird it's like this movie is one of the eight movies to be nominated for best picture and anyone that's uh, even just like a novice with film uh filmmaking and doesn't know everything about editing like you or me can like pick up on stuff like that it's just not great but i it got nominated for best editing too and i think that's largely because they were so impressed by the fact that it wasn't completely incoherent and someone had to like piece this thing together after brian singer walked off the set but it's just it's just so weird that like the movie that like at least has a, a 15 18 minute sequence that everyone agrees is great can also have like several other sequences which are just so obviously not great so that scene where they're talking to the agent right First of all, the dialogue is probably some of the worst dialogue <laughs> maybe ever written. But two, something about that scene and some of the other scenes almost felt like it was heavily edited digitally in almost like a CGI way. Like you look at like Carcetti and the other guys in that scene and it like it seems like they're shooting like day for night or something like that where it just doesn't seem right. It, it's almost like they're in like one of the Hobbit movies. Like it, it just doesn't <laughs> seem like a realistic like portrayal or something. I mean, I, I don't the, know what the going crowd on. in the live aid scene was uh, photoshopped, but I didn't, uh, I, I, or, or CGI, but I didn't quite grasp that. Uh, but there, there are other areas where like the, I don't know. It certainly doesn't seem, I, I don't know. Like, I, well, I, I, some people were saying on that, on that specific scene where they met the agent that, Oh, it, they probably dubbed a lot of that sound in after the fact. And I could see how maybe like things are cobbled together in that way. And that can kind of create that impression where like, this doesn't feel like it's all like a singular whole as a scene in multiple parts. Yeah. Well, and God, the dialogue where music for outcasts written by outcasts for outcasts <laughs> dressing like outcasts. Like it's just, come on. Who knows? Maybe that yeah. is like a conversation they had at some point, but it did feel very corny in the moment when they, when they tried to put it that way, you know? And I, I mean, do you even have anything to say about the other performances? Because I mean, like I thought the guys that played the other band members were, we're okay for the most part, but it's just kind of hard to – when they're not given as much to do physically as Rami Malek is, it's really hard for them to stand out and like really feel all that special. But, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just don't have like a, a ton to add on just like any other single performance in this movie. Yeah, it was um, – well, can we talk about it, – it's not the core cast, but I, I mean the core cast is mild enough. Like, I mean you have the scene where – you know, they're making breakfast while they're recording a night at the opera. And it almost felt like they gave them like 30 seconds without Rami Malek that like dominating the scene. And they're like, okay, that's enough of that. Let's get some good stuff. He's going to write Bohemian Rhapsody, which is one of the weirder. When we talked about tropey inspiration scenes, he just walks outside and like hits him like a bolt of lightning after they're arguing about like breakfast. Like, hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that Bohemian Rhapsody scene because that, that is an, a point where, like, in theory, like, a lot of the band members are getting a chance to show off. You know, the um, Roger Taylor guy is getting the chance to, um, like, he's the one that's having to yell Galileo. The Brian May is, like, having to pull off the guitar solo. And I do kind of appreciate that scene. Like, did, did you see um, did you see Love and Mercy, the Beach Boys movie with Paul Dano and John Cusack? I did not. So there's like a really great scene in there where they they deconstruct how they put together good vibrations, and like it's very very uh, tedious, but it's very impressive, and it just shows yeah. like how OCD Brian Wilson was at doing that. And like to me, that's almost the gold standard for putting together a song type of scene. 
and this didn't quite reach those heights, but it still was kind of cool watching that come together. Like that's, I thought one of the better sequences in the movie. And but yeah, on the whole, I'd say like n- none of those actors really had like a a great moment that made me think, oh, I'm gonna remember that guy. Like I still don't, I wasn't compelled to like really look it up, look up any of these guys to like learn any of these actors' names or anything like that. I did kind of think the guy that played Roger Taylor was not very good. It seemed kind of over the top, but maybe that's just because he was trying to find space in the script where. And maybe this is how Brian May looked, but the guy that played Brian May, at least in this movie, looked like distractingly like Howard Stern did when he shot private parts. (laughs) I was like, I know that's not the same actor because like it's not Howard Stern and Howard (laughs) Stern played himself in that movie, but he looked exactly like Howard Stern did in that movie. And I just kept thinking about that. So that was very distracting for me. Um, and one of the a few other things that we didn't mention that was a, a a thing that was changed for the for this movie was uh, that Mike Myers played a character named yeah. Roy Foster who played a record executive who was there to be the I told you so guy for the band who says that they're ter- they're not like he's not appreciating what they're doing and like didn't really think Bohemian Rhapsody should be a single and because it was too long and apparently everything about that guy was made up aside from the fact that like the guy that kind of inspired that character did think it was too long to be a single. But, I mean, like, they made everything else up about him. I mean, I don't know if you had any other thoughts about it, but it, that, or if that's like a, that seemed tropey at all, but to have like the, the guy saying, ah, oh, you guys aren't going to make it, and then have them make it, like, of course, like, that's something that they're going to put in a movie that's a traditional music, but musical biopic. Yeah. I mean, it, it is such a trope to have the record exec that doesn't believe or hates the lead single. Or tells you to come back with one single and you write like the best single of all time is the last <laughs> song you write for the CD, which seriously seems like it happened on a ton of records in the 70s. But I also generally do think there is a serious track record of record executives in the 60s and 70s hating really good records. However, that scene made me so, so angry because of the stupid wink, wink, nod, nod to Wayne's World. Like. I love Wayne's World. I'm a big Wayne's World apologist. And it's like, come on. Can we not make this movie without like 30 seconds of schlock? And like, because do you know what I'm talking about, right? He said something like, I just don't see this being a song that like you would headbang in your car to. And you're like, oh, oh see, I, I didn't pick that up. I, I mean, I've seen Wayne's World, but I'm not like a Wayne's World fanatic. Uh, so I, I did not immediately grasp that. Uh, I, I, the irony wasn't lost on me, though, about having Mike Myers like cameo in this musical movie. Is this, what, is this the first time he's been in a movie since what? Inglorious Bastards. I think he's done like a couple like very small things that like no like indie stuff that like no one really saw. But like, oh, uh, I guess far... he produced that documentary right about. Um, he produced some documentary about some like celebrity manager or something that I had never I never watched. Yeah, actually, it looks like I'm, I'm looking at his IMDb now. It's like he he had this movie called Terminal that came out like last year, like bef- like before Bohemian Rhapsody that I don't think anyone saw. Um, oh no, he, or maybe he's just a producer on that. So maybe you're right. It hasn't been anything since, oh no, 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 no. He was in this movie terminal that came, that starred Margot Robbie and Simon Pegg and Dexter Fletcher. Ironically enough, the guy that finished directing yeah. this movie and I guess is a kind of an actor too. I don't really know anything about that guy, but yeah. So one thing between this and, and glorious bastards, they came out in 2009. So good for, good for Mike Myers, I guess. Um, still, still has a career after the love guru. Yeah, I don't know. So I mean, like this is very odd to bring him to break him out of the um, storage for this one, for uh, lack of a better term. Yeah. But that, that that scene certainly didn't like 
do a ton for do do a ton for me either. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I uh, were, were you able to compartmentalize the Brian Singer stuff? You know, I I, I don't know, and a lot's been said about that, and we don't really need to say a ton about it. Everything he is alleged to have done is really horrible, and he seems like not a great guy by all accounts. But I mean, are you able to kind of like put that kind of thing out of your mind when you're watching a movie like this? You know, I put it out of my mind, but only because I think this movie made me so angry at points that I completely forgot. I, I candidly, during like watching this movie, didn't think about it at all because the movie was so distractingly bad that it's like I don't even have to have a decision in my mind of like if I thought the movie was good, do I still you know paint it or just don't bring attention to it because he's involved and in, in whatever like. It was just like about 20 minutes in this movie. I was like, I think I know how this is going. But then afterwards, I was like, it wasn't a good movie, and he's not a good person. And so I don't even have to pretend to, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just so wild that it seems like Hollywood's pretending to, like, that, like, he, he was never associated with this movie. I mean, like, they're just, like, still giving it all the awards. And um, even it's not even like it was, like, critically well-received. It'd be, like, a more interesting thing to me if it was, like, he directed an amazing movie yeah, and, then, and exactly. then this happened. It'd be like, man, like, I get why people wanted to honor it so badly then and just kind of excise him from the narrative. But uh, it's not it's not that good, and it's still getting, like, all this other love anyway because I guess people just really like Queen. And... Yeah, I mean, like, these songs are fun, but, like, come on, people, like, set your standards a little higher. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess, I guess one, one of the last things I'll ask you is, you know, I don't know if you were you had put two and two together. I'm sure you'd seen the um, you'd seen the preview for Rocketman, the Elton John movie, coming out in May. Also not excited for that movie. Okay, well, that's directed by Dexter Fletcher, who finished directing this movie. And, oh, uh, God. It stars Taron Egerton, who I don't know if you've seen the, the great 2016 movie Sing, uh, with the the animated movie where the with involving a singing competition amongst a bunch of animals, he plays a singing. Taron Egerton voices a singing gorilla in that, and he sings a song, and he's actually really good at singing. So he's going to be singing the Elton John songs, and uh, but it's directed by someone that was very involved in this movie. I think it was written by people that were um, actually like reputable writers for whatever that's worth. Um, not that these people that wrote *Bohemian Rhapsody* hadn't written actual good things before, but. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if you, I was gonna. I was just throwing that out there. Didn't know if you had any uh, hopes for that. Um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about Eggsy Does Elton because it, it could be interesting because I could see Elton John being like, "Yeah, tell it like it is, whatever." Like, it's my life. Like Elton John seems, you know, seems enough. pretty secure in himself. Yeah, I've had the career I've had. Like I had, you know, whatever's gone on in my life has happened. Like he might be willing to do that. So it might be interesting from that perspective, but. I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm just jaded on biopics after this movie because it. I just made me mad that Brian May like whitewashed. It almost made Freddie Mercury look worse than he w- probably was in reality, and made Brian May probably look better than he was in reality. And then you got Brian May like at the Golden Globes, sitting with Rami Malek like with his hands on his shoulders. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. That creeped me out. It was like he was sucking the lifeblood out of him or something. Did you see that they uh, they were offered to do like an opening number at the Oscars and they turned it down? Which, I mean, it's probably some pretty good sense to do that given like the Oscars have turned into like a big mess. But uh, I don't know. I thought that was interesting that like they, they turned that down when they seemed to be on like a tour to get as much good publicity as possible. Um, in, in light of the fact that they probably should be getting some bad publicity for insisting on Brian Singer's involvement in the first place. <laughs> um, 
I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, it's it's disappointing. You know, it's like I I guess there haven't been a lot of musical biopics in the last couple of years. I mentioned that Tupac one. I mean, at least since Straight Outta Compton came out, and the Tupac one was bad, and he was a figure that deserved something like way better. Um, but that's I think it was kind of a similar thing where um, the, his estate put uh, trusted the wrong people to make the movie, and uh, this is a little different since the the rights weren't uh, to the music were in the hands of the group and not like a single person. But I don't think the group did any better here. And except well, you, they have a lot of Oscars now to fall back on and be like, yeah, we did good. Do you know there's some stat about Queen, and maybe that explains part of why this movie is so weird and the making is so weird, where like they split all of their rights in song credits. So like they each have like the most amount of – like they share the most amount of Grammys or something. I, I'm butchering this stat, but like they each got a Grammy for like every Grammy or they ever won. So collectively they have like – a hundred or something. So is that them. another thing then that the movie changed that like, Oh, cause yeah, we already talked about how they changed how when they broke up, it, they didn't actually break up. But then when they got back together, it's like, Oh, now we split all the song credits on every song. So maybe that wasn't something that was like a late career thing to bring them closer together. And maybe they actually like, that wasn't the case. You know, you know, one thing I meant to look up and I am not going to really just, uh, uh, I'm not going to really bore the listeners now by, uh, waiting for me to do it, but I don't know if it's something you had looked into at all, but we, we just one last thing, like we talking about all the tropes and stuff. And, uh, that's one thing where, or, or at least it was funny in 2015, that was Paul Giamatti's thing where he played the, the awful handler in both love and mercy and straight out of Compton. Uh, and, and, and here, uh, this, this, uh, the Paul guy that I don't even know how real that guy was. I, I should have, I like, have looked no up clue the, how, the, how real I mean, that but guy like was. that, that just based on musical biopics that I have seen in recent years, uh, that is like, a, just... that, that is a pretty stock kind of character too. Just the person that is there to latch on to the artist for their own gain and doesn't really have their best interest at heart. And I don't know. I mean, like, for whatever it's worth, that guy doesn't have a Wikipedia page. I don't really know how. So you, I, I, I can't even click on it right now. And I mean, I w- would have been happy to read to the listeners from Wikipedia because you know that's always right. But um, I don't know. Like, I mean, that that was something where it was like very predictable. It's like, of course, this guy is going to like drag him to the lowest of lows, which were probably exaggerated for the sake of the movie. And then uh, Mary flies all the way to Germany to track him down and. S- Presumably just to talk to him for five minutes and then fly away again because he says something offensive to her. And then all of a sudden – oh, that, that was the other thing I was going to ask you because that's the one part in the movie where they play under pressure. And I oh, think yeah. it's just if, if you know like all the high point – like all the big hits from Queen, like that's kind of the one you're waiting for throughout the movie. And I was like – I was very confused and luckily I wasn't wrong to be confused at that point because I was like – Huh. Well, they haven't shown this song yet. Is this insinuating that like he made the? I, I think Queen is is on under pressure. That's not a Freddie Mercury credited song, so it's not like they wrote that during this time when they're broken up. And I'm thinking about this all during the movie when I'm someone that doesn't know that they didn't actually yeah. break up. So I'm like, wait, is that when he wrote the song with Bowie? Like, why didn't they show this? And I'm like, I, I just kind of accepted it. I was like, oh, they just want to drop it in somewhere because it's a really tall order for them to like try and cast someone to play David Bowie on top of this. So why have it in there? But I was just, I was just very confused thinking about that. It's like a glaring omission from any of their like their real bangers to just like not actually have them talk about under pressure. But, well, you you know the David Bowie movie is coming, right? And it will probably butcher it too. You could probably, I mean, oh, no, there was there was news about that the other day. They cast a guy. Um, they cast a guy. Uh, oh, great. They probably everyone's kind of saying they should have just had Tilda Swinton play him because she kind of already did that. Yeah. In a bigger splash. Uh, but there, there's a 
there's this, uh, this small movie in Britain last year called Beast, and it was actually like really well reviewed. I thought it was a solid movie. Um, but the the guy that played there's this guy in it that played like someone that was like really creepy. Um, his name's Johnny Flynn, and I guess he's actually a musician by trade, originally from South Africa. Um, and I don't really know if he has. I, hard to say. Like Tilda Swinton probably looks more like David Bowie than him, but apparently he got cast. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't. I don't recognize this guy. Now I will say when we're talking about casting in this movie, did you think the guy that played Jim Hutton looked way too much like Rob Delaney in Deadpool Two? Hmm. That did not I mean, did not come to mind, but I can now kind of see it. I thought you. Were I wrong. mean, it's like dead on, and it's really funny, man. <laughs> Um, man, uh, God, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Rob Delaney in Deadpool 2, though, because I need to like give him some kind of award when I do my awards podcast. That was one of the best comedic performances of 2018, in my opinion. Oh, wow. No, so I just like Googled Rob Delaney, and like on Google, if you Google Rob Delaney, and there's like three pictures that come up on the right where they have the little Wikipedia blurb, like the one on the left like looks exactly like him. Um, yeah. it, it was like that and Dustin Moskowitz in the movie were like, I can't take this serious. I, I did not pick up on the Dustin Moskowitz thing, but like I, um, I just—if you look at your phone, I just texted that to you, so you can you, you, you can you can laugh at how much that specific Rob Delaney picture really does look like him to see how spot on you were. Um, yes. Yeah. So any 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 of the any of the seven people still listening, Google Google Rob Delaney, and like your first result, and it's going to look exactly like this guy. Um, I appreciate you uh, joining me, Billy, to like round this out because it's kind of now just like a personal. Um, anal thing i have right now I need to be on the record about all the best picture nominees and i'm glad to be able to talk about something with you that you didn't love it mixes it up from what we did on mid 90s but you know i mean it's a shame because i think it was, the movie was kind of a missed opportunity and there's certainly a lot of things that we discussed that it could have done better but you know now it's a it'll, it gets to be a five-time oscar nominee forever and probably a very good chance that rami malek's gonna win an oscar for playing a musician and not singing so take that for uh, what it's worth um, and do you have any other final thoughts before we sign off? Uh, it just makes me sad when people make musical biopics and they're not as good as they could have been when they're like interesting artists, which Freddie Mercury was. So I will give my personal shout out to Control, the movie about Ian Curtis from the late 2000s. Good movie. I'm not there. Also, a good movie. I've not seen. I'm not there. I kind of want to go back and watch it. You know, it's Todd Haynes' thing, and I liked. I, um, I, I, you know, I like. I liked Carol. Okay, so we should go back and watch did, that. Did you see Control? Have you ever no, seen that movie? No, no. It's about Ian Curtis from Joy Division. It's really good. It's really sad. Twenty four, twenty four hour party people love that movie. Um, with uh, my man Steve Coogan, who is awesome in that movie. That movie okay. breaks the fourth wall so many times. What's it about? It's about ma- music in Manchester in the late 70s throughout the 80s, and he just plays this character that breaks the fourth wall like the entire movie. Mm, okay. Like at, at one point he turns to the camera and is like, none of this happened. That's pretty unique for a, a, a musical biopic, you know? I mean we've, that's become a device that more movies use these days, but it's interesting to hear that. So I'm, I look forward to trying uh, checking that out. Uh, if we're just throwing out other musical biopic recommendations before we sign off, I, I definitely uh, – I, one thing I'd recommend is The Runaways. You know, as the um, – it starred uh, Kristen Stewart as Joan Jett and Dakota oh, yeah, Curry. That. It's actually really solid. Um, a lot of people, like, have these preconceived notions about uh, Kristen Stewart just because of Twilight, but, like, just about everything else she does is, like, really good. Has a bonkers Michael Shannon performance as their manager. Uh, so I, I definitely recommend that myself. But uh, 
hell, if you want to go listen to some Queen songs really loud, uh, I, I, you can go see this movie or you can just uh, play, hook up to your Apple TV and like go on to YouTube and pull up the Live Aid concert and display your TV and probably get as much out of it. So uh, th- th- there you go. Uh, Billy, before we sign off, do you want to plug your letterbox, which is becoming a little more frequent or anything else? Yeah, I think my letterbox is just McCormick Bill. So uh, follow me as I try to catch up on all of the movies I've missed over the years. There you go. Um, I'm on letter- I'm on Twitter at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. Same thing on Letterbox. So um, that rounds out probably my uh, 2018 movies for the year. I'm still seeing some foreign stuff, but I don't know if I'm going to do any podcasts on them so i'll have an awards podcast uh coming out soon but until then stay tuned for some more uh for some more 2019 stuff probably something on uh this very weird movie that came out serenity and you know velvet buzzsaw and then uh, high flying bird because i'm a big steven soderbergh guy and that's coming out this weekend on netflix and uh lego movie too so plenty of new stuff even though we're in a place that's normally a dumping ground so uh look forward to talking about that stay tuned and thanks for listening we'll see you next time